And so step eight is drawing up the plan. It's like Belichick on the sidelines. Step nine, go out on the field, execute the play. And the execution of what we're talking about today is making amends. People that you have offended, people that you have hurt, you need to go sit with them and make amends. That's not an easy thing to do. That can be tricky. We're going to talk about where the landmines are and how to do that well. And in preparing our hearts for that, I have a song that I want to offer you by Vince Gill. I still believe in you. Many of you have heard this song. In the middle of the song, um, or, or, or in the first stanza and the second stanza, there's a line that says, how it breaks my heart to cause you this pain, to see the tears you cry falling like rain, the pain that you and I have caused. And then it drops down in the song, and it says, somewhere along the way, I guess I just lost track, only thinking of myself, never looking back, for all the times I've hurt you, I apologize. I'm sorry it took so long to finally realize. Give me the chance to prove that nothing's worth losing you. Who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to own hurt that you have caused with? Listen to the words of the song. Open up your heart to what God has for us this morning. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. There we go. Little Ben Scale for you this morning. Everybody wants a little piece of my time Still I put you at the end of the line How it breaks my heart to cause you this pain to See the tears you cry falling like rain I'll make it up to you I still believe in you In a love that will always be Standing so strong and true Baby, I still Thinking of myself, never looking back. For all the times I've hurt you, 
Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 12 steps, a classic model for spiritual growth. Um, we are on step nine uh, today. Made direct amends, made direct amends, sat with faced, confronted such people where possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. It's not appropriate to go seek to reconcile in such a way that it does harm to other people. When it's self-serving, and we'll talk about that and develop that, but reconcile when possible. We are called as believers, as Jesus followers, to the ministry of reconciliation. But reconciliation is not necessary for salvation. To be reconciled to God absolutely is, but to be reconciled to others, not necessarily. And that's where it can get tricky, and that's why this step has got to be worked through slowly and deliberately. So in preparation for that, let's work with this song here for just a minute. I want you to look at the words again. They're on the back of your notes. And this song, uh, there in the, in the heart of the song, as I read earlier, somewhere along the way, I guess I just lost track, only thinking, thinking of myself, never looking back. For all the times I've hurt you, I apologize. I'm sorry it took so long to finally realize 
Give me the chance to prove that nothing's worth losing you. Now work with me here for just a minute. What are the words, phrases, ideas of how he got himself into such a negative place? What would have been the characteristics that uh, uh, we would say describes this guy? Words, phrases, ideas. How he got himself into this situation. All about me. Self-centered. Being a bull. Not saying no to the right things. Right, Johnny? There we go. Amen. Good. Good good observation. What else? Okay. The biggest uh, evil against our heart is forgetfulness. We forget who we are, where we came from, who we belong to. We forget. And all through Scripture is the theme of remember, 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 remember. It's all through Scripture. What about this? Just plain old denial. You know, it took me so long to realize what I was doing. I was just in denial. I was hurting you. Um, I was not concerned about you. I was self-centered, full of myself. That's how you get in that situation. So it appears that he's ready to make amends, right? He's ready to repent. So now what are, what are the pieces on the positive side of this that he's got to Tom Brady-ish, that he's got to execute? He's got to go out on the field, no longer theoretical, standing over there on the sidelines talking to Belichick. He's now got to go on the field and execute what? A plan. So he's got to have a plan of what he's going to do. It's just like, okay, sweetheart, here I am. Sorry for what I've done. And she's going, so what you going to do? Well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, I just want to move back in. Not cool. Got to have a plan. She's going to expect a plan, right? Okay, what else? Amen, Roger. Here's the key, guys. This is one of the keys to this step. If you're going to do step nine, you've got to own your part in whatever your part is. And believe me, if there's a rupture in a relationship, you have a part in it. There's no such thing as I'm totally innocent. There's always two shovels in the hole. Always. Either you've let it go on too long, uh, you've been way too tolerant, you haven't said no, somehow you're a part of it. Now, I'm really pushing this because it's easy for all of us to sit there. It's like, well, I, you know, I was just an innocent victim. I was a drive-by, and I got shot. Dude, you shouldn't have been there to start with. You got me? There's always a part that you have in it. Always. All right, what else? Excellent. Excellent. Guys, if you keep coming here, 
And those of you who have been coming for a while, you're going to hear us talk about that over and over and over and over. The great emotional tragedy in men is we are not self-aware. We, we are not aware of ourselves. What else? Big one. I'm looking for the right answer. Vulnerability. Excellent. This song displays that. And Vince Gill in his soft, uh, melodic voice can sing it better. I love, I love Vince Gill. He just sings it very vulnerably, very emotionally, very tender. Repentance, willing to do something different. I'm going to do a 360. That's what a lot of our repentance looks like. I'm, I'm really going to change. I'm going to do a 360 right back where I was. Let's do a 180. How about that? Do a 180. Okay. All right. I'm going to give you one more chance. All right. Community help. That's good. You got to do it. Uh, community. Absolutely. Here's what's critical, guys. We've left this out. And I know you're thinking of it. And as soon as I write it on the board, you say, well, I was going to say that. Jesus. <laughs> Squirrel. Guys, we suck. I'll just be as blunt as I can be in this, in this forum. Empathy. What does it feel like to be her? What does it feel like to be the other person, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about me. What about me? Now, empathy. What's it like to be you in a relationship with me? Pick up your pen, guys. I got three questions for you. Let's go to work. First question is going to be easy. I'll make it easy for you. Who has hurt you? Who would you like to call you today, show up in your office, show up in your driveway, and apologize and seek to make amends with you? Who has hurt you? You know, they stole $100,000 from you, borrowed your lawnmower 10 years ago, never brought it back, you know, ran over your dog, whatever it was. Who? When I get back to Fairhope tonight, uh, I'll get home tonight about 6.30. I am just so hoping, I'm hoping that this guy that I know, I can see him in my head, is going to be in my driveway. I'm really hoping that he's there uh, to apologize and make amends. I don't know the guy, but I'm hoping the guy will be there. Because last Sunday night, I got home from Merlefest about 6.30. I get out of my car, um, and on our back patio, I have a TV. And the cabinet was wide open, and the TV was gone. And Carla was out pulling weeds out of the flowers on the side. And so being the loving husband that I am, I haven't seen her in a week. I get out of my car, and I, I go, where's the TV? <laughs> I mean, that was the most loving thing I could think of at that moment. Where's the TV? And she says, well, I don't know. It's right there where it always is. I said, no, it ain't where it always is. 
over, TV's gone, sound bar's gone, the remote to the gas fire uh, pit is is gone, and my backpack leaf blower uh, out in the in the storage room is gone. We had a visitor. Wow, Saturday night. I'd love for that guy to be standing in my driveway tonight to say, dude. I had a bad night Saturday night, and I just got stupid, and I took your TV, your sound bar, your remote to your fireplace, and your backpack, and I'm here to bring it back. I don't think that's going to happen, but I wish it would. I'm telling you, you know, probably everybody here has had something stolen. You know, I've had computers stolen and cars stolen out of my driveway and crazy stuff. It's not a good feeling. I mean, it feels very invasive, very intrusive. Um, not, not a good thing. We've all been hurt in some way. What's, what's amazing about our memory verse for today? Uh, those of you that have read it, memorized it, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase it just in story form. It says, you know, if you're standing at the altar and you know that there's somebody that has something against you, that somebody has something against you, then drop what you're doing there at the altar, go to him, make amends, and then Continue your worship, paraphrased. That's what the verse says. Matthew, what is that? Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. I wish that guy that visited my house last Saturday night would be at my house tonight. Probably not going to happen. Second question. Who have you hurt? Who have you hurt? Who would you imagine would wish that you would show up in their driveway? For some 20 years, uh, I have had breakfast with my dear friend, Charles Waterloo, and Billy Mink um, is part of that, and Phil Dixon is part of that. There's four of us that meet as we're in town and can every Wednesday morning. Last Wednesday, I blew them off. I forgot to let them know that I was at Merle Fest. And come Wednesday morning, breakfast, Phil didn't show up. Phil's out on Cherokee Lake, just north of Morristown, um, Frankie, fishing with his brother-in-law and nephew and forgot to let Charles and Billy and Phil know that I was not around. Now, I wouldn't say that that is the biggest betrayal that my friend Charles Waterloo, Billy Mink, and Phil Dixon have ever had, but it was it was significant. It was rude. Uh, it was inconsiderate on my part, and I needed to make amends with that. And I apologize to those guys yesterday, and sorry that you know I just never let them know. Making amends on whatever level is a lost art in Christendom. I want you to consider this scale. We'll kind of draw it at somewhat of a 45-degree angle. We'll put this at a 10, the biggest um, uh, need to make amends, and we'll just call this at the top of the heap betrayal. Betrayal at a 10. And we'll start down here at zero, and at some point down here is just hurt. Now, again, I can't speak for Charles and Billy and, and Phil, my good friends, but I would imagine 
that as much as um, um, they were um, concerned about me, angry with me that I never let them know whatever, that I would hope that that the level of hurt was somewhere for them down here at a one or a two on the scale. Uh, it was something that needed to be taken care of, but it wasn't like the worst betrayal of their life. Part of this idea of making amends is trying to get um, the hurt quantified in people. It's like, you know, if you've hurt somebody, uh, they may consider that to be an eight on a one to 10 scale, right? You hurt me at an eight and you're thinking, ah, wasn't that big a deal. I only hurt you at a three. So to you, it's a three. To them, it's an eight. Now, I see this happen in my counseling office all the time, all the time. Couples come in, you know, Bubba's over there. It's a three, sweetheart. It's a three. And she's saying, and, 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 and Susie is saying, no, it's a 9.5. And if you don't get this taken care of, I'm going to ask you to leave. Well, but it's a three. But it's a three. And that struggle to quantify emotional quantification of the hurt can take a long, hard process because at some point, Bubba is going to need to kind of come up the scale. And it's true that Susie may need to come down the scale in order for them to kind of meet in order to reconcile. But you've got to address the hurt. This is part of where we are. Making amends is serious business. Final question, third question. <clears throat> and, uh, if you're trying to figure out what the third question is relative to, to what's on your handout, good luck with that. Uh, that, that was like, okay, uh, my English uh, uh, professors would, would be, okay, where's the subject, where's the verb, and where's the object? Um, what is your model of reconciliation is what I was trying to say there. What, what's your model of reconciliation who modeled reconciliation? When have you ever seen it done well? Somebody in business made a huge mistake and they came back and apologized and they wanted to make amends. What's your model? Guys, I would, I would say this to you. I am in such a um, blessed position because I have seen hundreds of courageous men who want to live whole and holy walk through a process of making amends. I've seen it happen where men have owned their failures and how they've hurt others, and they've spoken into that and been reconciled with themselves, first of all, because they're not split and in denial, and been reconciled with those that they've hurt. It's powerful. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that? And part of our problem, even when we read the scripture, is it's some kind of theoretical process. It's like, okay, I see what it's saying, but I've never seen it done. Dude, I've seen it. Powerful. I've seen people apologize and own their failure. I'm going to show you a clip that this is kind of sad. It's kind of humorous. It's very telling. Apologies, kind of, of famous people. Watch this.
Mastering the mea culpa. After a public figure is called out for bad behavior, a public plea for forgiveness usually follows. After years of denials, Lance Armstrong is admitting this week to many of the doping charges that have dogged him throughout his storied career. But he's certainly not the first. Here are a few more public figures who have faced some public flogging after, at times, some pretty defiant denials. The answer is I did not send that tweet. It, my system was hacked. I was pranked. It was a fairly common one. People make fun of my name all the time. When you name Wiener, you kind of get that. I apologize to Andrew Breitbart. I apologize to the many other members of the media that I misled. I apologize first and foremost to my, to my wife and to my family. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Ms. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. In fact, it was wrong. It constituted a critical lapse in judgment and a personal failure on my part for which I am solely and completely responsible. Uh, I know that it's not possible that this job could be mine because of the timing of events. So Senator wants to say, first of all, that he is the father of Quinn. There exists no one who can truthfully testify that I have ever used performance-enhancing drugs simply for the reason that I never have. I pled guilty to two counts of making false statements to federal agents. I have never doped. We're sick and tired of these allegations, and we're going to do everything we can uh, to fight them. We have nothing to say. We have nothing to hide. Gentlemen, I would suggest to you that the nature of human nature in you and in me is to lie, lie, lie. Just own it. You know, if I'm little Johnny and I've got chocolate on my face, I mean, I'll look right in daddy's eyes. Johnny, have you been in mama's chocolate? No. No. Guys, it's, we're sick. That's why we need reconciliation that we can't achieve ourselves. We need somebody to lead us to the table of acceptance and forgiveness, because what we try to do is create safety in ourselves, and we try to control, and in our self-centered attempt to control, we are in denial, we lie, and we hurt other people. It takes a courageous man to walk to a location, sit down in front of a wife, a son, a daughter, a business partner, and acknowledge what you have done wrong in that relationship. Because part of what's at stake there is our own feeling of self-worth. If I say that I've done this, shame tells me that I'm wiped out, that I'm bad, and I'll, and I'll never recover from that. And so I live under the threat and the control of shame and I don't own it. 
What I'm also afraid of is if I really own it, the person that I really want to be in a relationship with will reject me and I'll experience rejection. That's what our crazy, broken brain tells us. But the gospel is counterintuitive. The gospel says, humble yourselves. Vulnerability is what connects us to other people. And everything in us is crying out, no, no, don't do that. I've seen it done that, and I've seen the fruit of it. It's so powerful. So what I would say to you is the process of reconciliation, go. 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 Jesus said in so many words, go. Go. Tell the truth. And again, tell the truth as you now see it. No excuses. Tell the truth. Trusting that the healing, the self-acceptance, And the peace you will gain is worth the risk of rejection that you may encounter because you're afraid that you'll be rejected. And you may be. You can't control the other person. But if you want to be happy and live in intimacy, this is the path that you've got to do. Start owning. Start uh, feeling the feelings of the other person who's been hurt. Although this risking of open rejection is frightening, the fruit is transforming and freeing, but it's going to take courage. Make the list of people. What does that list look like? Who is it? First of all, it's people that you've got to go to quickly, and that's your family, your closest family and friends. Go. Keep that slate clean. Go and acknowledge how you've hurt others. And then there's, and then the second group is just others in general. Third group is people from your past that maybe you did something 10 years ago. And now you're a believer. You love Jesus. God's transforming your life. And you need to go back and acknowledge to them that what you did 10 years ago was hurtful. And then there's people that you don't have immediate contact with that are not easily accessible, and you may need to find them. Now, guys, this is tricky at this point, because even as step nine says, except when to do so would injure them or others. And that's where it takes counselors, helpers, feedback. Because it's very hard to make that call when you don't have people helping you. I've seen people courageously move out and take the initiative to make amends. And I would say that was a mistake. It was like digging up old stuff that should not have been dug up. And then I've seen people, of course, not make that, take that initiative because they were afraid that it would hurt somebody when they were really protecting themselves. And that's what you've got away. Am I just trying to protect myself or am I really taking the other person into consideration? I want to read a a letter to you. And there's so many things I could read. I've got letter after letter after letter that I've collected through the years of 
the desire to make amends and reconcile. Um, this is holy ground to me. Um, time won't allow me to read as many as I would like to. Here's a letter of, of, a, of a father um, who lost his family and lost connection with his daughter um, because of his alcoholism. And this is his letter that he wrote after working um, in therapy for months. It, it took him months to get this letter just right because it was full of uh, blame of mama. And it was just, it was just twisted. I think he finally got it good enough. Not perfect, no such thing, but good enough. Dear Susie, and again, this is him writing to his daughter that he's been estranged from. Dear Susie, I'm writing to do what I can to set right the harms that I did during the years that I was in a relationship with your mom. I've chosen to type rather than phone for two reasons. First, my handwriting is pretty awful. And second, because I want you to have something tangible that you can look at later when life may be treating you rough. To tell, to tell you the truth, I'm tempted to let things just stay the way they are because your mom tells me that you have some good memories of the time we spent together. Part of me says, why mess with that? The best answer I have is that I loved you and I'm certain deep in my heart, whether you know it or not, I did you harm. I did you harm. I'm sure that you were aware that during the years we were together, I was an active alcoholic. And then he moves into all caps. This next sentence is all caps, big, bold caps. Let me be very clear that this admission in no way whatsoever relieves me of responsibility for my actions. No excuses. Full responsibility. Ownership. I used alcohol and drugs because they were the only things I knew that could give me the relief from the constant fear I felt. I was drawn to you and your family because I desperately wanted to love and to be loved, but I was also scared to death of the prospect of being responsible, especially to others. Emotionally, I felt like I had one foot on the gas and the other on the brake. I'm sure that it was hard for you to figure out what was real. Is the real stepdad the one who wants to love me or the one who's pushing me away? You weren't crazy. I was. You were a wonderful, lovable child, and you had every right to expect consistent love, emotional support, and parenting from me. What you got instead was fear, chaos, confusion, and abandonment. I want you to know that I didn't fail to give you those things. I, I, I want you to know that I didn't fail to give you those things because you were unlovable or undeserving, but because I was a sick and frightened man incapable of giving. Final paragraph. If you feel emotionally ripped off, it's because you were. If you feel abandoned, you're not crazy. You were. I know at some deep emotional level, it's hard not to believe that you were really worthy and valuable, that these things wouldn't have happened to you. Please believe me, this just isn't so. You are worthy and deserving of love then and now. It was I that failed you. Susie, I hope that you'll accept my heartfelt regret for these and the unlisted harms that I did to you. 
Should you ever want to talk about any of this, please give me a call. If I can ever be of any service to you as a friend, I'd be honored. Sincerely, Dad. Guys, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of work for a man who has failed and has lots of guilt and shame to write something like that. That's a journey. That is holy ground. Um, I want to show you one more clip. This is, this is powerful. Uh, I just kind of ran across this. Um, this is a, a five-minute clip of Ligon Duncan uh, giving a presentation at uh, Together for the Gospel. Uh, C.J. Uh, Mahaney, uh, Ligon Duncan, uh, Mark Deaver, and Al Moeller formed an organization uh, a couple of years ago, uh, ago called Together for the Gospel. And the intent was to draw the body of Christ, pastors, um, under the banner of building the kingdom together and quit being so divisive and so territorial. They started out with a couple hundred uh, people uh, when they started. And this past month, there was over 2,000 in St. Louis for this conference. What I'm going to show you is five minutes out of a... Um, 60-minute uh, presentation that Ligon Duncan did. Now, many of you know Ligon Duncan is the former pastor at First Presbyterian Church. He's now the, uh, the uh, president of um, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, well-respected in re Reformed circles. It's a little bit hard to gather because I'm, I'm taking uh, minute 43 through minute 48 to show you out of 60 minutes. What he's talking about is, is the harm that the church has done to racial reconciliation and how many of um, the white church leaders justified their actions toward our black brothers um, and twisted scripture and came up with a paradigm to protect themselves and not welcome one another into the arena. It's an amazing moment in church history. I want you to watch this. Reconciliation on all levels is critical. Watch this. Now, now, now here, here we are. I do think there are people out there that says, my, those people love theology. Man, those people are fired up about the doctrines of grace. Whew, those people love the 1689 and the 1646. They love Turretin and Calvin and Warfield. But do they say, I don't believe I've ever met more compassionate people than those? If we're like Jesus, we're like that. But look, we have worked really hard to delimit the application of the law of the neighbor. Now, I, very quickly, I want to apply two particular, I could, I could do a million of these, but let me pick two really hard ones because we've already talked about it this week. I believe that if the reformed community in America in the 19th and 20th century had simply applied the second commandment, we would be in a very different place than we are today in terms of racial tensions. 
But my community figured out how the second commandment didn't apply to that. Now, let me just tell you how it happened. In the early 19th century, leading up to 1837, both Baptists and Presbyterians decided that slavery and slaveholding was dividing the church. It was a divisive issue. And they decided that it was harmful to unity. And therefore, they decided it was a thing that shouldn't be talked about in the church in order to keep unity. And then they said this, if you talk about stuff like that in the church, you're getting into politics and social life. And sometimes they gave fancy names to that, like the spirituality of the church. And all the while, they were saying, the second commandment doesn't apply here. And, and so if you get all antsy when somebody starts applying the second commandment here, it's because they taught you well. They taught me well. It has taken more than three decades for God to bring this blindness off of my heart. I've, forgive me, brothers. Friends, this isn't about some social gospel. There are a lot of things you can worry about in life. Don't ever worry that Lig Duncan really grooves on cultural Marxism, okay? <laughs> this is the dadgum second commandment. And, and let me say, we could have learned this from brave, brilliant African-American riffs. Guys, reconciliation is the measure of how serious you are about your recovery. I mean, do you just want to be sober? Just You just want to be right? Or do you really want to be godly? And by the time we get down to step nine in this process, we have worked, done a lot of work in our relationship with God. The first three steps. Next four steps is increasing that self-awareness, four, five, six, and seven. And then as Roan led us last week, okay, it's time, guys. It's time. Are you really ready to start to acknowledge those that you have hurt? Now, again, when you prepare to read the letter to form that, you can't write that letter. You can't have that conversation if you need the other person to respond in a certain way. That's on them. If, if you have your hopes, okay, if I sit down with my wife or my brother or whomever, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to expect, wow, man, when I read this, they're going to jump in my arms. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Let it be. But if you're serious about your recovery, because the longer that you allow this unfinished business to live inside of you, and you're aware or even unaware of the guilt and the shame wrapped around that, you're setting yourself up for acting out again. You give 
the enemy a foothold. Leviticus, that clean part of your Bible, you know, Leviticus, no fingerprints in there. Leviticus, verse 17, and this is what um, Ligon Duncan was referring to, says this, do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives, for anybody. Who's your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. That's what he's talking about. All across racial lines, all across denominational lines, all across state lines. Yes, Ole Miss and Mississippi State people loving each other. Confront your neighbors directly so you will not be held guilty for their crimes. Never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor. Do you love your neighbor more than yourself? If you do, romance can be restored in your marriage. Guys, it takes a very hard-hearted spouse to disregard your repentance and your owning of your failure. Now, I've seen that happen, and that's very, very sad. Spouses can get so hardened and so dead and so run over that no matter what you do, they will be unresponsive. But if you really want the highest possibility and probability of restoring your marriage, then start owning your failure. And then secondly, I've seen families restored. I, I know even in this room, there are fathers and sons and fathers and daughters who are alienated from one another. Quit waiting on them to come to you. You go to them. Own whatever you can own and pray that they will reciprocate and use your courage as a pathway to healing in that relationship. I love step nine. I love being Tom Brady. Ron can be Belichick all he wants to. But guys, standing on the sidelines won't get it done. You got to be Tom Brady. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. We are a stubborn group. We are scared, frightened, full of guilt and shame. Help us, Lord, every one of us. I know there's men sitting in this room this morning that you are working in their hearts. You're moving in their hearts. And I pray that there would be a freedom of your spirit to move in men's hearts that would bring healing to families and relationships. Thank you for our time in Jesus' name. Amen.